So Jeremy, first of all, like I know we've done this before, but still, like, can you introduce yourself for the audience? Of course. Um, my name is Jeremy Fisher. I'm. Um, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I coached at, uh, competed, and was a two uh, seven six high jumper at or two twenty nine high jumper at uh, Wisconsin, and uh, you know did a little bit of professional track, and uh, then after that, I, I started coaching. I coached at Cal State Northridge, um, where one of my first uh, national champions was high jumper, actually. Uh, we had a lot of success, won a lot of conference championships while I was there. And then I took the job at the University of Oklahoma. I was there for five years. We won two championships while I was there, and we had one uh, conference championship to the Big 12 in like 20-something years before I got there. And so it's been, you know, it's an, we won when we were at Wisconsin, won when I was at Northridge, and then won at, at Oklahoma. In 2020, or I'm sorry, 2010, I took the job at uh, the Chula Vista Olympic Training Center and uh, was the director of the program from 2014 until 2022. And during that time, I was able to coach uh, 16 Olympic World Championship medalists plus, you know, a dozen plus uh, Paralympic champions. I helped write coaching education for USA Track and Field, uh, World Athletics in the jumps, and... Uh, now I'm just a private crunch contractor, run my own business, uh, Max Velocity Athletics. And um, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm doing. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier. I contract, I work for different countries. I work for China, I work for uh, Korea, I work for uh, India and their para group. And then I have some American athletes and some American para athletes and, you know, work with NFL guys, work with Major League Baseball guys and speed and training. And that's kind of more what I do. I'm kind of just... Uh, trying to do a little bit less travel and more uh, kind of training. And and so that that's kind of where I'm at right now. Nice. I love it. So uh, last time we discussed about like the dynamic core stability at last. So today I kind of want to start with that. So uh, in case that some, some of the audience didn't like listen to the last episode we did, can you like, uh, walk us through like the progression of like dynamic core stability. So, so um, you know, a lot of people do. You know, we know that core is so important to uh, stabilization. Um, you know, forces being emitted through the body, and uh, I mean, you watch, you know, Jonathan Edwards and probably one of the most uh, core stability demanding events, the triple jump, and you watch Jonathan. There's like this very little amortization that happens at the waist and um, you know, bending or anything like that in his world record jumps and any jump that you see long jump, triple jump, high jump, pole vault, or sprints. I mean, you, you see very little, you would see a lot of core stability. And, um, so the idea was I was working with the biomechanics group with uh, USA track and field, uh, Jill McNitt, who's, uh, runs the biomechanics and one of the professors at university of Southern California, USC. And, uh, we worked with each other for quite a while and, we kind of looked and, and we saw that uh, definitely on better jumps, the core and the stability of the core is so important. And so we started to think of like, okay, what are ways to train that? Because you can't just do core in regards to like, you know, sit-ups and, you know, planks and whatever else that, you know, creates stability. It's nice to have that, that, that uh, strength. Right. But 
everything that we do happens at such a quick, I mean, you're talking 0.12 to 0.14 seconds and sprinting, you're talking 0 0.09 um, in max velocity uh, as far as uh, ground contacts. And you're trying to create force into the ground and admit it back through and not lose, you know, that force. And so we started to talk about, you know, doing the regular core, but then there's the dynamic core uh, stability and strength drills. And that's being able to engage that core. Um, a lot of athletes have uh, anterior rotation at the hips, meaning that basically the front of their um, hips is pointed forward. And so if you're looking from the side, they're kind of forward like this instead of neutral. And so just if you think of like running and, and stuff like that, if, if the hips are forward like this, then all the running is going to be backside and you're going to limit actually how much that thigh comes up because there's a physical limit because the hips are kind of forward. Now, if they're neutral, now the thigh can come up. Um, the, you, the backside mechanics, as we call it, tend to be underneath us more because you have that ability and you don't have that forward rotation. And so that's the um, components we talked about is that dynamic core, first of stabilizing neutrality. And then once you do that, limiting rotational things and, and different things like that, I always like to use um, the Olympics in 2012, the women's hurdles, and, uh, and Sally Pearson, she won, and she beat you know who, one of my favorite athletes who I just love, uh, Don Harper. And uh, if you look, Don is like, keeps crossing her body like this and creating all this rotation. And, you know, because of that, she's got extra rotation when she's on the ground where Sally is here, you know, I'm not going to argue what at, both of them are, are phenomenal athletes. Uh, you know, I wouldn't know foot speed or whatever. Uh, they're both equally great athletes, but, you know, when you're talking about, you know, thousands of a second or hundreds of a second, whatever it is, just that rotation of going across your body compared to just staying, you know, midline, not breaking midline. That's huge. And that's part of that dynamic core stability and keeping that core strong and limiting rotation and limiting all those different things. And so we do a lot of exercises, you know, not just, you know, use dowels over the head, we use med balls over the head. And it's not just, you know, it goes from rudimentary, very basic to a little bit more advanced thing. So uh, early on, we're just walking and we have maybe a med ball or a dowel over our head or stick over our head. And then we start to do running things. Then we start to do bounding things, jumping things, you know, hurdle mobility, things like that. And we become dynamic with it. And so like anything with progression, as you get that orthability, progress it, become technically more advanced, become a little bit more um, dynamic with things uh, and increase what we call intensity uh, with the drills within a certain kind of thing. That translation is better also to the event because we start off with very rudimentary basic things and we build into uh, yeah, a, lot, a lot more advanced technically technical things. So um, um, if we want to like implement this dynamic dynamic core stability into like our training, it does it start like what you mentioned, like um, med ball overhead and then like in front of the body and then band yeah so i mean a lot of coaches already do things to implement uh you know things within their warm-up during their um, 
preparation for the event or something like that. I mean, it, it, like any kind of training, it should change as the year goes on, right? If you have a warm up and it's a very rudimentary warm up and it's a very basic warm up, but it, it gets all the planes of the body, right? And maybe you're doing it, you know, 30% in, uh, I mean, 30 meters in, your, in the percentage of, you're not really worrying about the intensity of the warm up. You're just kind of using it to, you know, get them and get them warmed up. You use it a little bit early on also to get them a little fitness and so forth like that, right? As the year goes on, you know, you better be conscious of like, okay, this warm up is it specific to what I need to do? So if you're still doing this general rudimentary warm up, but then you're asking them to do like a triple jump, and uh, the intensity is not there in the warm up, it's going to be hard to turn that trigger on to jump that day, and you're not priming the body to be ready for that day. And so you're already doing like you know vertical mobility, you're doing. Uh, dynamic flexibility you're doing maybe some balance things you're doing some like warm-up drills and so for me it would be like early on yes we're doing core stability all that kind of stuff but then later on we one day for before we run we may do some hurdle mobility like over the top trail leg um, over the middle un under over and early on we're just you know it's very just walk step over as the year goes on, the intensity of that drill becomes more dynamic. The hurdles may be spread out a little bit more. The hurdles may be higher. Um, the intensity of doing the drills may, may increase. And then I start to implement things like using med balls, holding them overhead or a dowel or stick over their head so that they engage their core and make sure that they're neutral and they're really conscious of it. Because if you're telling an athlete to in the triple jump, be like, okay, you got to keep your hips stable. It, it's too late. You, you've got to start implementing it in everyday things so the athlete becomes second nature and, and things like that. So, so that's part of it. And then you can start to throw things in too as part of the drills and warm-ups because early on, you know, probably early on practice is short because you have eight hours in college. Um, early basic training, you know, it seems like we can get in and out two, two hours the more technical the training comes, the more intense the training becomes, the longer practice becomes. We'll be out there for four hours or something like that. And that's using some of that, you know, increases intensity, using some of the dynamic flexibility, the, the you know, dynamic core stability stuff, implementing that into the, into the work so that the athlete can continue to get ahead. And so, you know, that's a big thing I think I start to see now is that coaches do a really good job of getting athletes ready but not necessarily getting them ready at the right time. Uh, you know, college coaches, they pretty much have it down. Uh, I think there's the struggle post-collegiately is to get the athletes ready for, if they're foreign athletes, then they only need to get ready really for the peak part of the season. Uh, for U.S., obviously, it's you got to get ready for trials and for U.S. championships and, uh, you know, the, the World or Olympic finals. And so that's, you know, that's just part of implementation of training and, and design and stuff like that. And I think, uh, you know, coaches, they do a fantastic job and they've done a great job of getting athletes fit and jumping good distances. But, you know, even I'm starting to see it where we have these great athletes doing great things in college and, you know, by two years, uh, they're out of the sport. <laughs> you know, I'm talking, you know, really, really, really good athletes and in foreign countries, those athletes get support and get to stay in the sport longer and eventually they may achieve some success and so forth like that. Nice. So um, does this also work with 
sprinter you mentioned and also like team sport athlete, like basketball player? Yeah, I mean, because it works for every sport. I mean, it works for basketball, it works for football, it works for, you know, American football, um, baseball, all those different kinds of sports because the more stability you have in your core, the healthier you're going to be. You know, I mean, that's part of it. I think that's part of the game is have the healthiest athlete on the field at their highest ability. And, and, and I like my chances. You know, you're making great chances for yourself. And so if we're sitting there and we're designing and we're looking at, uh, you know, different sports like a basketball, yeah, I mean, they're pogo sticks. They're trying to hit the ground, jump again, all that kind of stuff, cutting side to side, things like that. The more core stability that they have, the healthier they're going to be. They're going to have a better sense of balance. They're going to be able to, uh, um, you know, be able to cut, move, all those things and stuff like that. And literally a half step in the game of basketball or football is huge. And so even when I'm working with my, you know, formerly when I was working with my football guys or baseball guys and or soccer guys or whatever sport I'm working with, some basketball kids and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, I'll get kids who come out and they're basketball players and they were like, yeah, when I first started, I was touching the rim and, you know, we'll go through like two months of training and, you know, we'll work on core stability and we'll work on like, you know, general strength things and stuff like that. And they go back and they're like, coach, I can dunk now, <laughs> you know? And it was like, I couldn't dunk before that happened. And it's like, yeah, because we're building the system, you know, we're making you a better athlete all the way around. You know, you, you start with the core, you work your way out. And it's amazing how, how much better and developed that the athletes get. But it was, you know, I've been, I've heard numerous stories where we're working with kids, they play multiple sports and it's like, yeah, I was barely dunking. And now I can do, you know, I can do 180 or I can do, you know, all these crazy dunks. And they're like, wow. And I haven't touched the basketball or played basketball or really, I mean, we've just been focusing on, you know, this, this kind of course stability, jumping, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's no gimmicks. I mean, it's, it's uh sport specific training, you know? So, um, I know you already answered this, but like, um, like you mentioned, like these athletes only, the only thing they change is they do dynamic course stability, like uh hurdle mobility, or like um dynamic like uh, lift the knee, try to cross over or like try to like bend over. Why is like helping the pelvic get neutral position helps them like jump higher? Well, I mean it's just it's it's emission of forces. You know, it's just being able to you know if you simple biomechanics, if you have uh, ground reaction forces and you have force application into the ground, you know, there's, there's a force factor. So you push it into the ground and the more stable and the more vertical the push is, then the vector is going to be kind of straight back up. And for a player, that's really important for a jumper. That's important because, uh, the more, the, the greater the vector is in regards to efficiency and, and, and the resultant vector, it's huge. If we're talking about mechanics and just, you know, kind of layman's terms, it's just literally like, um, if if everything's done from a standpoint of simplicity with a um, a you know contact support and then there's propulsion, more efficiency you have in contact, the more efficiency you have in support is going to result in, in a greater um, you know resultant 
uh, kind of result from the contact, the support, and then, you know, being able to get off. So if it's, you know, I know this is very simplistic. It's not this way, but you have braking support propulsion, efficient braking, stiffer muscle, you know, good body posture, support, less wiggle, less amortization, then it's going to be a greater, um, you know, resulting kind of jump or, or force applied into it. And so, again, the, the force curve looks like this, and it's kind of big tail. I, I always say it looks like someone's sleeping in a bed, right? And so the more force you can put on this part, the back part, you can increase that by making that more efficient and the result, it, and then you're going to jump higher. And that's what we're trying to do. It's, uh, you know, I always say this, like, if even though it's, uh, you know, people go, oh, it's scary and stuff like that. At the World Championships in the long jump, two guys slipped on the board, and both guys who slipped on the board went, like, you know, 10 feet in the air. And thank goodness they weren't hurt too bad. But it's like, it's because all of a sudden, all that horizontal velocity stops, and this big vertical velocity happens and they go straight in here as coaches. That's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to do slip on the board, but we're trying to create that muscle stiffness. They get when they slide and that sudden stop and up in the air. And that's what we're trying to do as coaches is get that as stiff as possible, get the body to react so that they can get the height off of that. Okay. I mean, that's a, that's a very, um, you know, gross kind of uh, example, but that's what we're trying to do. I mean, we are trying to get as much height as we can with the limit of horizontal velocity and make that muscle stiff as possible, keep that course as, as stiff as possible. Well, so can you like walk walk us through like, um, if I'm gonna like, let's say put it down, is it start from on the back or overhead or like put? Yeah. So, so anytime, like uh, you guys can try this a little bit, you know, um, and, and, and use the example of it from, uh, I always like this, this kind of example. I'll actually have the athlete lay, lay down like this. Okay. And I'll have them lay straight on their back and I'll have them raise their right leg up like this. Okay. And they'll try to go as far as they can. Right. Then I'll have them lay on the ground, stick their arms out, and I'll have them push against someone else's arm. So, like, if I'm laying down and my arms are straight out, I'm pushing against this arm. So I'm engaging my shoulders like this. And when I get engaged, what happens? My transverse abs hold my hips neutral. So all of a sudden, this leg that comes up, you know, before it went, like, to here, it goes all the way to here. And that's because those hips become neutral, and it clears the path for the hip to go. And so that's a perfect example of having the transverse abs engaged and that's what happens. So I actually do a reverse, you know, you think of it from that standpoint like that. So first it was here. So I want my arms in front of myself. So I'm engaging my abs and I'm keeping them neutral. Right. And so I'm running with a dowel in front of my body, right? Like this. And then the next part would be after a couple of weeks of that, then I'll have the dowel overhead right? Because now I'm in kind of a straighter line, kind of, you know, engaged that way. And then finally, I'll have it here on my shoulders, because now I have to consciously engage my, my the, those abs, and then make the hips neutral, right? And so that's the progression I use. And then I'll use a lightweight, maybe like one kilogram 
like ball out in front, you know, and then it would be overhead and then it'll be, then I, and then I don't put it on my neck, but it'll be here in front and over. So that's kind of my progressionary thought of using, you know, the, uh, the Dow or the med ball, uh, to engage the abs and keep the core there because I eventually, yeah, I'm using that. I'm using my abs. I'm using, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I want to have the stability to come back onto the ownership of the athlete and, and not having to use an external, um, thing to make them make them or stimulus to make sure that they're having their hips neutral. Nice. So start from the Dow, then med ball, yeah, down, front, down, over, down, down, med ball, front, med ball, over, and then we're pretty then, much done. Then after med ball is, is start using like resistance band? No, I mean, I, th- I feel like by then, you know, when I'm using that, I'm, I'm done. Like I have core stability and I'll do a little bit of stuff. Then I'll become creative with some of the core stability. Then I could advance to the next part, which would be, you know, like, um, you know, maybe sprinting with the med ball here, you know, while I'm I'm running over some wickets. That's a very sport specific, very advanced, very uh, thing that's going to correlate well to sprinting, right? Uh, For a jumper, I would have them actually holding a med ball here, doing bounds or doing a triple jump at the end, throwing the ball at the end. And that's a very core and that's a very specific kind of thing. So like if I was working with a basketball player, we'd go through all those progressions and then, you know, we might use not too heavy of a med ball, but we could use a med ball to then work on some of that stability stuff and things. And it's funny because, um, you know, I've never had the conversation. I've never seen, you know, anybody kind of with that. But you, you see like LeBron, some of the stuff he does with his therapist, and he's like doing balance stuff with a med ball out in front. So he's working on that core stability things and stuff like that. And, you know, it's not a, a conversation ever had i've never seen i don't know even who his you know trainer is but i look at it like okay that's a person who knows what they're doing you know because they understand that progression and and kind of that and things like that so um you know mine is just the thought of you know i worked with the biomechanics lab we came to this kind of thing and you can't sit there and think like oh yeah someone else is doing it it's 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 what we do um and you know i don't care if i'm not trying to take a patent on it or anything else like that it's just you know, it works and it's a smart, um, you know, smart to do for your athletes. Nice. I love that. I actually love this stuff. Uh, uh, it's before our last podcast, I saw you implemented with your athlete with like holding resistance band overheads. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's when I found out about this. I really love this stuff. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a very specific one. So that's like resistance. You can use that band and we get to that point where we're there, you know, and stuff. And you saw, it was, I was working with the Chinese athletes and, you know, that's a, it's, it's a progression. So we started off with all this core stuff and, you know, now we're into that where we're holding with the resistance band and you saw how dynamic they were with that. And, you know, some of the things is like doing the same thing with, you know, holding positions and then getting into a sprint, like three steps, one, one, three, fives is what we call them and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, you, you, as a coach can become so creative and, and thought, you know, and it's like, is this important? And this is what we needed. Yeah. You know, yes, we need it. It's important. And is it sports specific? Yes. And, uh, are you progressing with it? That's important too. Nice. Nice. 
So enough for the core stability. The next thing I want to like discuss is I just recently found out like after I like try to help with the jump team in Louisville, I found out they they actually implement a lot of like speed work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is what what I want to ask is like. Why is like speed training so important for like jumpers, no matter as long jump, high jump, or triple jump? I think I will say this. I don't want to degrade anybody's training, but I don't think speed training is quite as important for high jump as it is for long and triple jump. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, I've had a lot of success with high jumpers and we don't do probably as much speed and running as probably a lot of other events. You know, and uh, like long and triple jump at the end of the day, you have to be fast. I mean, you have to, uh, you know, when Will jumped 18 meters, he's running 11 meters per second. You know, when, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tyron, he jumped 839. I'll, I'll use him for as another athlete. He's he's running, you know, almost uh, 11 meters per second. And then Brittany, she's running almost, you know, nine 9.8, I think, 9, 9.9 meters per second when she you know, jumped her PR 731 in the long jump. And so, and uh, Katora, when she jumped 1492, and she's she's running fast. I mean, she's running probably 9.7, 9.8 meters per second when she did that. Because to jump 15 meters, you've got to be over 9.5, 9.6 meters per second for sure. And so horizontal velocity becomes important for horizontal jumpers. I mean, at the end of the day, not triple jump as much as the long jump, but you have to have you know, that kind of speed. And nine times out of 10, especially in the long jump, uh, the fastest athlete will, will usually win uh, triple jump. It's probably eight out of 10. But so the horizontal velocity becomes important. High jumpers, not so much, just because it's not about max velocity. It's not about uh, maximal or optimal control, maximal velocity. In the high jump, you know, you're looking at, at anywhere from seven meters to eight meters or you know, whatever per second. So it's a much more controlled run. And so, um, and it's a lot about positions and things like that. And so, uh, yes, I mean, it's so important in the horizontal, again, because of that, you know, horizontal velocity you need to jump far. In the high jump, you know, I argue that, nah, not so much. And um, definitely, uh, you know, these, you know, they're good athletes, but a lot of high jumpers aren't the fastest athletes. Uh, I'll use Brigitte Barrett. She's jumped uh, 203, you know, to higher than that, 204, I believe, is her PR. But she's now the 2012, I think, uh, Olympic gold medalist. I think they, I don't know if they've awarded her yet, but, you know, it's only a matter of due time. But Brigitte is probably one of the slowest athletes I've ever worked with. And that's nothing, you know, wrong with that. But she can steadily run probably like 53 seconds in the quarter. And when, uh, uh, her coach was working with her and she was at the peak of her jumping game. That's what she did. She knew she was going to jump high by running, you know, 53 seconds in the quarter, but she probably couldn't break 12, five for the hundred. Right. But she jumped six, eight, you know? So I it definitely for a high jumper, it's, it, it's not as important um, as, you know, muscle stiffness and all those other things that are uh, important for high jumping. Nice. So uh, I'm glad you brought up like muscle stiffness because that kind of lead me to the next question is like the penultimate step so for i know for a long jump and high jump this way different this and 
and triple jump. So let's start from long jump. Um, Good. Sorry. No, I'm finish. <laughs> so let's start with long jump. So, uh, what should we be seeing, or what should be what we sh- what should we be looking at the f- last few steps of the long jump? Um, you know, this is up for a lot of debate, but you know, the one thing I've seen is that in all successful long jumpers, they minimize um, posture loss or. Um, Boo Shakespeare, he says, postural integrity. And that's one of my favorite expressions that he ever, you know, used. And, and I love postural integrity because in posture it is so key. And we talk about dynamic core stability when we talk about posture. And when we talk about posture stability, we talk about the hips, the spine, and the neck, and, and the head. And so having that. And a lot of times the problem with the penultimate is the athletes lose um, a lot of that posture st- postural stability. They lose their posture. So they'll get onto their penultimate, which, you know, penultimate, they're lowering their center of mass, center of mass to create vertical velocity. Um, you know, if it, you're looking at long jumpers, you're looking at like three to 3.4 uh, meters per second of vertical velocity uh, when you hit. So the main thing is you're trying to minimize horizontal velocity loss. So if you're running 11 meters per second, you don't want to decrease your speed to 10 meters per second at takeoff. You want to try to you know, minimize how much speed is lost. So instead of going from 11 to 10, you want to go 11 to 10.5. And when you lose your posture and you try to really set up um, on the penultimate or second to last step, that's when, um, you know, athletes get height, but they lose, you know, distance. And so um, with the athlete being able to run off, you watch Mike Powell, Carl Lewis, you watch, uh, um, I can't even say her name, Christo whatever it was um, when she set her world record and you watch the videos or even uh, Jackie, they, they minimize that horizontal. They don't set up a lot. They don't lose that possible integrity. It's like just a little simple lowering of their center mass and they hit the ground and they go. So you see very little loss that way. So uh, in the long jump, uh, the penultimate, uh, and some people will say taking a long step and then a short step or taking even steps. So maybe going, 2.2 to 2.2 or going from 2.1 or 2.4 to 2.1, or some people say 2.1 to 2.4. The world records were all done using short to long, you know, but uh, consistency and a lot of jumpers, they use pretty even or short to, or long to short. Uh, and so I think the long to short, the problem a lot of times is the postural integrity. The athletes set up and they try to, you know, kind of get out of position where, I mean, in the short to long, the athlete keeps their posture, gets minimal, gets a little bit of drop, minimizes vertical or horizontal loss, and then sticks their, you know, able to stick their leg out, get in a good position to be able to get that height. And I think that's the biggest thing. And so in the long jump, they lose posture. And when they lose posture, their chest comes forward like this, and then they get to their penultimate and they're actually tall kind of into it. If you watch most elite jumpers, what happens is they, instead of setting it up, they they can stay vertical. Then they can kind of stick their leg out and get in that nice kind of position away. And then they stay in this nice vertical position in the air through landing. I mean, perfect is Mike and Carl. If you watch their competition, like I said, Jackie, when she jumped her super far jump, you look at the women's hike address there, you look at the world records, you look at, um, uh, 
Ivan Pedrosa, he was fantastic. Of, like he didn't set it up a lot. He just ran off it, and it was a great position. Irving Saladino, when he was jumping, he had seven seventies and stuff like that. The only person I honestly I can consistently say who set it up a lot, um, but he's so strong and so fast was Dwight Phillips. He'd set up quite a bit and lose possible integrity, but he, I mean, he's running 11.1, 11.2 meters per second, and he's super powerful, but not a lot of people can do that. And so my thing is just in the penultimate, keep possible integrity, lower your center of mass just by you know, being able to have a little, little knee bet. Try not to lose that or create forward rotation or create flexion at the waist and then kind of create. So for the long jump, at least, um, the penultimate, it's it's it exists, um, but we want to minimize uh, loss and we want to minimize posture. I mean, we want to keep that posture integrity as, as best as possible. Cool. So, because uh, I'm new to this, I'm new to like uh, yeah. long jump, high jump, and like triple jump. So, just to clarify, does that mean minimize the uh, center of mass, like lowering? Yeah, minimize that because it, it really, it, I think it does a disservice in the long jump. You know, it, it really does. I think the athletes, when they, um, I mean, you even watch the world championships, the top guys who jumped 850, they're minimizing how much setup they are having and take off. They're really doing a fantastic job of staying vertical. And you have two 850 long jumpers, which, um, you know, is, is, is really good at a world championship. It doesn't matter what, you know, what year it was or anything like that. And, you know, even Tajay Gale had a pretty big foul, you know, but you, you had a, a very high level of long jumping, uh, with good posture and stuff like that. And so, and then the women's side, yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, it, it was good from, uh, um, you know, the 714 is a good mark. I mean, that's a good mark. And I'm happy that uh, Tara got her, you know, medal and stuff like that. But, you know, you, I thought definitely the level, some good people got out. But I, th I thought there would be more seven-meter jumps on the women's side. I was hoping there would be. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So uh, after long jump, um, I'm going to ask about a high jump. Yeah. I know there was a curve for the high jump. So how is it? Pen, um, like, is it different in long jump, and how? What was the difference? So in trip or in high jump, sorry, in high jump because you have a little bit of rotation, so you have a curvilinear approach. You've got centrifugal forces by you know the lean in and so forth like that. Um, postural integrity is still important, but you're going to definitely have more setup. And the reason you're going to have more setup is again you're seeing more vertical forces. So you, I was saying three point zero to three point four in the long jump and you're seeing like, I think, you know, high threes, even, you know, closer to four in the high jump, meaning that the vertical component becomes so much more important. You still have a horizontal component, but your, you know, your, your differences, you may see close to 11 meters per second in the, in the long jump and you're only seeing about eight or so in the high jump. So you're, you're, it's a lot slower from a horizontal velocity standpoint, but you've got the curve linear, but you're adding a three-dimensional event to it, which means that you're trying to hit a bar and you're trying to get the parabola on top of the bar. And so um, placement of takeoff, there's no fouling or anything like that. Let's keep the keep the bar up. So it is, you know, kind of form and, and rotation over the bar and different things like that. But the penultimate 
in that still you're trying to run the curve of linear approach with a lot of young athletes what we see is that they don't truly follow the curve and so what that means is if i'm making a j so if i'm running here and i'm making a j and there's my takeoff right there my feet should be within that curve the whole entire time so i'm making this nice j to there what happens is the athlete's running okay and they step out here and then they come back in and they jump. So when they create their penultimate, they're stepping out. Now, if I step out, what happens? Am I keeping my curve? No, I, I tend to do this, right? And then that penultimate, the lowering happens, but I'm also I'm also taking away some of the curvilinear effects from the high jump and the approach. And so in the high jump, especially, you really have to keep your posture integrity um, you have to keep your feet in the curve and you have to create lowering while not losing posture. And so for me, it's like my shoulders are, I'm a left-legged high jumper. I'm leaning like this. What happens is I get a lot of people set up their penultimate. They square their shoulders like this. And so then when I take off, I jump into the bar. I've got to learn to run like this, lower, keep my shoulders and just, and keep my posture so then when I take off my shoulders square and I go vertical. So that's the biggest component that's different for the high jump is, yes, you do want more of a penultimate. Um, you do want to lower into it while keeping posture, but you're also trying to keep that posture, that nice curve or lean into the, into the curve so you, you can take it more vertical and not dive into the bar. So many people go, oh, my athlete jumps into the bar. I'm like, yeah, because if you go back to the penultimate, they stepped out of the penultimate, they lost their shoulders at the penultimate because, again, we're on the ground for 0.14 to 0.16 seconds, right? If I go here and I plant my foot, I can't, I don't have enough time to plant and totally rotate over my foot to go into the bar. I can only do that if I'm square, put my foot down, then I can go into the bar. So really it's about the penultimate, keeping my shoulders into the curve the left side, it would be obviously be my left shoulder in. If I'm the right foot, the jumper would be my right shoulder and making sure that stays into the curve. Being able to do that, then we can take myself vertical. And so that's the biggest difference between the penultimates and the, and the high and long. And, and that's the curvilinear and keeping that, keeping that body position in the curve. Nice. So um, when we're in the curve and the shoulder is like this, mm -hmm. is should like the higher side of the like this side of the shoulder be from backward or like in... no yeah yeah like 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 you said if you're running right if i'm running in a curve i i don't want to be too much i, I kind of want to be square right i want to have as good a plane as possible right so what does that look like that looks like this if i do this some people exaggerate and they and they they tend to keep themselves like this which is okay but here the problem is if i open my shoulder to the left side, then my, what my foot's going to do is it's going to churn because I'm going to open up my hips because I'm running the curve. So I want to try to keep my shoulders. Some people like to do the reverse, but I, I like to just be in the plane. If, if I was on a, if I had a big stick and it was attached to the ground and I was running a perfect curve, I want my shoulders to be squared to that curve the whole entire time. And if that's the case, I'm here. It's, not here because then I kind of switch it a little bit. So that's just my preference. So, you know, some people like to do this because basically if you look at the fashion in front of the body like this, there's a big X and they like that stretch reflex from that. And I'm like, 
which which I, I totally respect and I, I understand that. But even me as a high jumper, just being a former high jumper, the easier it was for me to stay in that curve and keep the mechanics like this, this felt awkward to me. So this felt more natural and, and I felt like I could keep, take my vertical up better in, in that position. Nice. So uh, before we talk about like triple jump, I want to ask like, let's say like team sport athlete, like basketball player, let's say they're going to do, there's a fast break, there's a turnover, they're going to go back at like layup or dunk the ball. The last few steps of like takeoff, is it more like long jump or more like high jump? It well, it depends. Okay, if if they're taking off and they're going up for a layup and they're going for a dunk or something like that, right? Just a normal kind of straight on, it's long jump, right? It, with a little, you know, because they're they're running straight on, they're driving the free leg. It's kind of different because they're jumping off their left, they're using their right hand. I mean, it, it it's kind of that way. So it's it's in the position of, um, you know, in the long jump. What's the difference is that. We would jump off our left leg, our right thigh would be up, and then our left arm would be here, right? But if we're a right-handed jumper, we have our arm up here because we're jumping off the ground, which would be our right leg. So jump-wise, that's like it's like high, it's like a, like high jump, right? Because it's your drive leg and your you know drive arm are the same side. That's definitely high jump or long jump. It would be left here, okay? But you have the basketball unless you're you know if you're jumping off your left leg. So that from a standpoint. Like as far as position, it's, it's like high jump, but we're if we're just on a fast break and we're using our speed, we're definitely doing the long jump component. But now I can change it if I start to create some rotation and I want to do a reverse. It's just like high jumping because now I'm coming rotationally at it. I'm creating rotation and I'm turning my back 180 degrees to do that. Or if I'm doing a one three sixty, I'm becoming much more like a high jumper. So. It depends on what kind of dunk you're doing. But like, so for me, when I was at the, you know, in college, I would actually just to break it up. And even with my kids, we'd go and we'd go dunk basketballs. So, you know, we'd go do reverse dunks because that's just like high jumping, right? And it's a fun way to break stuff up and work on the vertical. But yeah, I mean, it, and it depends. Like for me, you know, doing reverse dunk, it's like that. Even high jumping, you know, from that. But I, you know, I think... It gets to a training standpoint of you can't make everything rotational. You have to, you know, for high jumpers too, if you watch some of Stefan Holmes stuff, people are like, oh my gosh, he's jumping so high off of, you know, over these, you know, hurdles and stuff like that, that he made. And it's like, because he's working a high jump without creating rotation. So he's not burning himself out with all that twisting. He's jumping high. I mean, he's doing a linear kind of thing. Not if you're a high jumper, you don't have to do everything from a curvilinear standpoint. You can do stuff from a linear standpoint too, and it's still going to be beneficial for a high jumper. Nice, nice. I love this. So, uh, after a long jump, high jump, um, the interesting one is like the triple jump. So, the triple jump, like, um, is different than those two. So, can you like explain a little bit about it? Yeah, so so the triple jump, the interesting thing, there's not supposed to be a penultimate in the triple jump. I mean, like if you watch, you know, every jump around 18 meters, they don't set up the jump. They literally are like if if I put a piece of um, you know, paper 
in front of the screen and you can only see me running and you didn't see where the board was, you wouldn't know where the board is because they don't give a tell on how, when they're going to jump. They're literally running, hitting the board and jumping off it. So there's no penultimate stuff. The problem is a lot of triple jumpers, they set up before they jump and it's a hard habit to break. But if they want to be truly an elite triple jumper, they have to learn not to set up into the board. They have to learn to run off the board and not, you know, set that jump up. And, that, and that's a hard thing to teach an athlete who's been taught a penultimate step the whole entire time. But there should not be a, a, a penultimate in the triple jump. They literally should be running off the board. And, and that's the biggest difference. And if they are, they're just adding a, a vertical component to the to the jump. And so when you add a you know vertical component, I mean, I can name maybe you know one athlete all time who's had super success going super high on their and super long in the first phase, and that's Kenny Harrison. You know, freak of nature. You know, he he was he said they were like seven meters on his first phase and stuff like that. Uh, and it's just like it's so hard to stay healthy. It's so hard to, you know, control those vertical forces when, when you jump that far and stuff like that. He was one of like the only athletes all time to do that. So like to teach another person to try to do that would be almost like impossible. You know, it's a once in a lifetime. So, you know, for triple, you want to teach an athlete to be like a rock skipping in the water. If you want to stay low and create as much, maintain as much horizontal velocity as possible. Nice. So, um, Last thing I want to ask is like, after I like try to like observe the jumpers, long jump and triple jump and high jump, they're like, they're moving their last few steps. I found that, correct me if I'm wrong, like the swing leg retraction from France Boss's book is really uh, like, you can see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's interesting because if you sit there and I remember when you said this, I was like, it's an interesting like, kind of component and stuff like that. And so um, basically like, you know, the swing leg as it comes through, you know, the thigh, like, let's just say this is a good angle. Like, it's hard for me not to bend my, but there's the thigh and then there's the shank, right? Or, you know, there's the, um, your, uh, femur and then there's your tip fib down there right and so you get into this nice position where this is in this nice vertical position and then as the hips comes down it gets extension and then you push into the ground and stuff like that and i think like when you get into triple extension off the ground it tends more to be kind of resulting that way but as we're starting to learn we're getting shorter we only see triple extension a lot of times, not into in acceleration. We see it more in max velocity that depends on, uh, you know, the athlete and so forth like that. But in, you know, as we look in, into the retraction and, and we kind of come off and, and, and I would say more what you see, especially in the long jump um, or the triple jump is that the athletes will run off the board, their free leg thigh gets to here and, whether they're hitch, hang, or hang, hitch, they extend the leg like this and they swing it long and so forth like that. And they get into their, um, 
you know, get into their hitch kick or the hitch hang or whatever kind of position and stuff like that. And it's like one of the things that I looked at when I was a young coach is I looked at the different events and I looked at like, okay, what was a commonality by successful jumpers? And, you know, you're talking like, I'm not, I'm not looking at, uh, you know, eight, even 850 long jumpers. I was looking at the best of the best. I was looking at every jump that was, you know, 870 or better or what, you know, every pole vault that was over six meters or every woman's pole vault back in the day that was over five, 490 or, um, you know, triple jump that was over 18 meters or women's triple jump that was over 1550. And one thing that I saw high jumpers over two, I'd say 35 and women, I think 203 was the kind of standard. And the one thing that you saw on every single one was when they took off, um, when their, their foot was still on the ground, that free leg thigh came to parallel. Okay, so they're in this position that, you know, nice vertical position. This thigh, knee, knee drive off the ground was vertical. I mean, so they're, you know, they get that thigh here, the shank is here, and, and their foot's still on the ground. That's the one commonality I saw. And so they didn't get into that hip extension when the leg was out. What they did off the ground was a little bit different. And so it was like, what allowed the athletes to do that? And as I started to look back, I started to look at like, okay, you know, every event, long jump, high jump, triple jump, uh, pole vault, it's cyclic action into an acyclic action, right? And so sprinting for the most part is just cyclic through 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 the end. Uh, with jumpers, you have a cyclic action followed by an acyclic action that results in, you know, vertical lift or or whatever. And so what I saw is you can't ignore the cyclic action that led to that acyclic action. And so if my thighs are parallel and I'm in a max velocity, like sprint mechanics with my thighs up in good posture, um, you know, I'm not fighting it. I'm, I'm, I'm running through. I'm able to drive that free leg thigh to parallel and then get that late, uh, you know, hip extension and then, um, you know, you talk about retraction into the hip until it starts to cycle. But if those thighs get up and you're in your cyclic action into that acyclic action, it's a lot easier to do. So that's what I started to see in regards to that hip the position, you know, being able to get off, you know, kind of in, into the flight mechanics or whatever it is into that. And so I think, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just different for different events. I mean, if you look at the long triple jump, the speeds that you see in the sprint positions that you see are very similar to an athlete who's running a 200. They're submaximal. They're at about 97% of their control speed. And, and so you see a lot of similarities, sprint mechanics from a 200 meter athlete and long triple jumpers for sure. Oh, love this. Love this. So, I mean, after like this conversation, I kind of know like why like um there's tons of like jump coaches like Coach Boo, Randy Hanton, they start with coaching jumpers. They all become like great spring coaches. Just makes sense. You you get to a point where you can't you can't be a jumps coach without coaching sprints. Like you know, it's funny because the coach sprint coaches will sit there and you know they're like okay, and there's some successful sprint coaches and stuff like that, but to be a jumps coach is, is, you know, you have to be a great sprint coach first 
like, so even for me, when I took my coach's education, I took sprinting before I took jumps because I felt like I needed to learn how to be a proper sprint coach to teach the jumps that way, to teach the jumps better because it's so important in jumping. And so, but you get to a point of coaching where like, you know, I work with football players, I work with soccer players, I work with basketball players, I work with volleyball players, I work with all the above. I mean, and, and I mean, now you look at one of the most, you know, uh, um, you look at like one of the great boxing coaches, Larry Wade, who was a great hurdler and great sprint coach of his own mind. And he's like one of the top, you know, boxing trainers right now. You know, you look at over in swimming and uh, you got um, Vern Gambetta and he's one of the best like on land person swim coaches. You know, and so it's just like as a coach, you learn the movement. And once you become like that movement specialist, you can coach anything. You really can. And and I do feel that way. I can see any sport. Um, like if I feel like, you know, I'm at a point in my career that if I started to, you know, wanted to be a throws coach, I could be a successful throws coach. If, if I, uh, distance wise, it would be a little bit more difficult just because the energy. Um, I mean, I would be great at mechanics and running and stuff like that. But the energy system, just because we don't, it doesn't, you know, aerobic and anaerobic and, you know, all that stuff doesn't pertain as much to us. But, you know, I think in, given in time, I could be a great distance coach if, if that was the case, you know. And that's because once you have the backing of, and understanding movement and energy systems and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't matter. You know, you can become great at, at whatever. Nice. That's kind of like all the question I have for you today. I love yeah, this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So for those who are interested in what we're talking about today, where can they find you? So you can follow me on Instagram, Jeremy FHJ. Um, um, on my Instagram, you guys can go to mba.services. I want people to start to sign up. Yes, there is, uh, you know, you can sign up and pay for that kind of thing, but I'm really excited about what we're going with MBA. We're creating an app. And so the app is going to have literally thousands of videos. So every drill, everything is going to have a video. Um, the questions I get the most is about strength training. So it's going to have every lift. Um, it'll be like a three to five second GIF of all the exercises so you can see what it looks like and stuff. Um, it'll have a detailed like descriptions of things like that. So I'm really excited about kind of how MBA.services is going. But you guys should be on the, you know, it's like they've got Let's Run for distance runners and they have throws universe for the throwers and i'm like we don't have a jumps page and so i created that with the hopes that you know there's 230 people and i just you know wish people would come there more and, and just talk about jumping and jumps and stuff and you know that's that's my goal for this year is to really grow that aspect of it is, is just the conversation in the community and stuff like that. And so I'm excited for that. So you can go to mba.services and then obviously maximumvelocityathletics.com is my site. And, you know, see all the drills and see everything else and YouTube, uh, Jeremy FHJ again, all that stuff's there. So I try to share as much information and I really want, you know, the jumps to have a community like all the other communities are out there, you know. Nice. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on.